0: All right, well, listen, I am super excited for today's conversation with Ben and Maxwell. You know, I've gotten to know him uh, over the last handful of months, and, you know, when we first met, he was on the tail end of a successful exit after only 18 months of building out a solar company, and then he immediately launches into this new cookie franchise called Dirty Dough, and I can tell you from his competitor in my town, he's onto something because People love themselves some bougie cookies, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. He's up to 60 locations under agreement or operating already. And on top of that, you know, he's building this thing out with a purpose that you'll love. So, Bennett, my friend, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be here.
1: Oh, excuse the, the weird voice right now. Got a really scratchy yeah. voice.
0: Yeah, you're pushing through. You had a you had a procedure the other day, and uh it uh, is affecting your voice a little bit. So I appreciate you making the time. I really, really do for, for, for the show and for the guests that watch. We appreciate it. So thanks. So, uh, dirty dough cookie franchise. Let's first start out with the, you know, the purpose and the, the give back that you're making a part of the culture. That's part of how you're going to operate. And I love when businesses do that. So why don't you, uh, let's jump in and share with our listeners what you're doing with your give back aspect of dirty dough.
1: But I'm I'm starting my sales career was door to door sales, starting in pest control. College dude in pest control. Like, you don't, you're selling pest control to make money, and it was great money, but there's no really passion behind it. Sold a different, few different things, and then I, until I landed on solar, and I just, man, I noticed how big of a difference it was to be passionate about something, to be like, hey, this is a win win. Like, you know, it was, it was just a very easy sell, and I was always saving people money with solar. I'm like, yeah, it's way better to have, A bigger purpose of helping people rather than just the money. A lot of it also came. I was doing the uh, kind of the core values exercises. One of them is uh, write your obituary, and I'm kind of thinking like, you know, I don't, I don't care to be known for money. Like that's, who cares if you're successful or if you have money? At least you know that. As myself going to that exercise, so instead, it's how many people can I positively impact? How many people can I help live fulfilled, happy lives? Anyway, so with that in mind, the uh, dirty dough is all about mental health. So that's everything that we're doing in there. It's it's that mental health focus, and it started with looking at the competitors' cookies. When I purchased this company, it was at one existing location. That's where we're still at today, just one open. Um, but like you said, Jeff, we have sixty opening the first five or next month. So fantastic. Looking at all these cookies, it's all about you know they're they're clean, they look good, they're perfect. And I've been following a guy named Jonathan Haidt for the last few years. And uh, he's a psychologist and tracking the suicide and self-harm rates in kids and teens. And correlating it with the rise in social media. So at the time I listened to it, I had a two-year-old daughter and a newborn daughter. And compared to 15 years ago, both my daughters are like 150% more likely to go to the hospital because of self-harm. It's like, crap, what what do you do about that? Anyway, so when I bought this company, we said dirty dough, you know, the dough is dirty. We're going to focus on the inside of the cookie. And then that's a positive message. It's all about, you know, the inside matters most. So there's my two daughters right there. Um, and then my little boy, that's one. Um, but it's the inside matters most. And that's what I wanted to push out. So I noticed my daughter at four years old, she was watching this YouTube video of a guy playing with his daughter, a dad playing with his daughter, really good, clean content, but she's already comparing herself at four years old to this, you know, uh, YouTuber. Daddy, I want what this person has. I want to go where this person has. But she has that, right? So it was like, man, at four years old, she's already starting this mental health. Like, I'm going to compare my normal, boring, imperfect life with somebody else's perfect Instagram life. So that's what Dirty Do is all about, is you know, fighting against that and showing life is messy and dirty, but it's meant to be enjoyed just like these cookies. So we are doing uh, wellness centers in K through 12 schools. So we're converting old classrooms into a wellness center with the focus of educating kids on mental health. I really want to beat the stigma of, right now, mental health is, you go focus on it if you're mentally ill, but nobody's proactive on it. And that's really what I want to push with these uh, wellness firms is, how do we practice mental health every every week, maybe even every day, just like we do with our physical health? Because if you're trying to live a fulfilled, happy life, you know what's more important than the mental health? So that's that's kind of what we're doing um, building out this wellness rooms and then all of our messaging with dirty dough is the inside matters Moves, kind of be authentic um come as you are type messaging that we're that we're pushing out
0: yeah i mean i I love it um i'm very i've been'm I'm an involved parent at a local level with our local school district uh, so i've I've heard the stories I've seen it uh we unfortunately uh i guess it was about this time early spring last year mm-hmm. um A young, a young adult, uh, young boy, he committed suicide. Uh, my wife coached him for, I think a league or two season in bowling and in like the little youth bowling program that they have at your local bowling centers. So it was sad. I mean, it was sad for our community. And, and I love the focus that making this a proactive part of an upbringing because you're a hundred percent right. Social media is tremendously powerful, as you and I know. Providing you ride it like Sea Biscuit and make it positive. But if you just let it go, I mean, th- this is a deep level. And I had a previous guest on Kurt Mercadante. You could check out that episode if you're listening. I mean, if, if we just let social media go, uh, it will live out the matrix where the robots and the machines take over the world and destroy it. If you just let it do what the algorithms programmed to do and what it responds to, it will be a very negative thing. Uh, so I love the focus that you're putting on it as a proactive uh, effort and these spaces in schools because it's you know I think there's so much of what happens in school that is just so programmed to lead down this predetermined path and there's no pause button, there's no off ramp yeah. to focus on positivity in mental health. So I really like that. That's a very cool focus.
1: So these rooms will have
0: into the culture. Yeah, tell you, us about you, the rooms.
1: So you you can pop in these rooms for a limited amount of time, 10 to maybe 15 minutes is all. Um, And it's all about educating yourself on mental health and actually practicing different mental health techniques. So you can grab an iPad. It's going to walk you through guided meditation or uh, breathing exercises or mindfulness, happiness mindset, different things like that. So that's what these rooms are for. It's a spot to come to work on your mental health not so much as a to escape the world because i I don't think that that's super beneficial to you know a safe space to escape the problems but rather they their problems they're going to continue to be problems let's learn how to cope and confront those problems with the correct tools rather than just you know looking for a safe space
0: yeah yep yeah. yeah uh I mean I really like it and the, you know the breathing thing it, it's I mean this is another I mean I, there's I'm positive there are entire podcast shows dedicated to the concept of healthy breathing and meditative breathing. Um, and you know, if you think I'm silly, if you're listening to this, get into you know, Google box breathing, Google easy breathing exercises, and commit to it for a week. Yeah, and you will you will be shocked that at how your body has unlearned how to properly breathe. Have you heard of Wim Hof, Jeff? A guy. He's a
1: I have, uh, I'm a European guy. He's got, he's got, he, he like marathons in shorts in the freaking Mount Kilimanjaro, <laughs> like in shorts. Okay. But he's anyways, he's all about the breathing and it, it's, it's crazy. Like I didn't believe any of this and I had to research it. Yeah. There's Wim Hof. Um, okay. He, he's, he's crazy, but he's been able to train other people what he does and they will inject them with bacteria. And through his breathing exercise, he he could he won't get sick. And then he he's like, okay, well you you know all the doctors are like, well you're just an anomaly. And then he went and trained a few dozen people how to do it, but just just Mm. some good stuff. (laughs) So definitely, if you breathe correctly, your state of mind changes completely.
0: I can attest to that. I focus on it every day. Uh, We've got a Kyle Slaymaker friend, fan, fan of the show, Slaymaker Sales Method. Uh, His wife. Uh, Elizabeth, uh, actually, uh, works in the district where my kids go. Uh, she's a fantastic special education teacher. Um, one of the unsung heroes in our education system. So Kyle thinks we need to connect you too. So I'll I'll make that happen after the show for sure. Um, she's, she's kind of going down. Um, she's got some dreams and endeavors of her own. So, um, I'll make a connection there for sure. But, uh, so, The solar thing, you found purpose with solar because you realize, hey, this is a win-win. People immediately save money. Uh, It is adding an alternative source of energy into the whole mix that is our energy need um, and the demand on our energy system. So that was cool. So you started there, you loved it, you built it, and then you sold it. So walk us through that journey.
1: Yeah, so I started the company... January of 2020 with my brother. Um, we co-founded it mainly door to door, but we also did some online sales and marketing. Um, but we started with the Emyth method. If you've ever heard of that book, of how do you work yourself out of the business basically as quickly as possible? So you're working on the business rather than in the business. You're creating an organization chart of how you think the company is going to look in one, two, three, four, five years. And then you're filling your heads you know, in every single position and then you slowly replace yourself. So about a year um, after starting the company, we had done that. We'd replaced ourselves. And, uh, <clears throat> so things were kind of on autopilot at that point and the opportunity came to buy Dirty Doe January of 2021. So then, that's when I jumped into Dirty Doe but I was still running the solar stuff a little bit. Um, and then there's an opportunity to exit the company in uh, June of 2021. So yeah, that 18 months later. So I did that. I, sold the company so I could uh, jump full time into, into cookies. But no, I, I love the solar journey. It was definitely really quick, but a lot turn taught me a lot about business, about scalability, and then also, you know, being able to grow something and then quickly exit it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I call, I call, um, I work with people and, and let them know, guide them into that investor seat in their own business, you know, People, a lot of people start a business because they're very emotionally connected to it. It might be a generational thing. They might take over a family business. It might be a passion project. All of that has its place. All of it is great. I applaud it. However, what I don't applaud is you basically, as a business owner, having a job. You own your own job, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, when I was in uh, in the furniture mattress industry on the wholesale side. I counseled many small, small independent furniture shop and mattress store owners. I said, "Listen, this is this is going to be some harsh words, but you need to go work for your competition. Mm-hmm. Okay, you are not positioned to move beyond where you're at. You're unwilling to, you know. I would spend time giving them marketing ideas, giving them input on how to grow their business, try new things. You're unwilling to do that. You're very comfortable, and that's okay. If you're happy with 110 grand a year." You can go make that as a manager, and these chain stores will take mm-hmm. you on. But you either you 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 are at a crossroads, you just don't realize it. And yeah. until you make a, a plan to shift into that investor seat, or as you built the entire business, which is so opposite of what you hear so many people do, right? Like they start out as the, the chief everything officer, the Chivo, as I call it, and they just get stuck in that rut. So, you started out. Obviously, you didn't have a bunch of people right away. So, how did you balance knowing you needed the heads, knowing you needed the people, but still, you know, there had to be a point in time where you're like, "Well, we still got to answer the phones, we still got to rate the emails, we still got to do the estimates, and we still have to do the fulfillment." So, how did you balance that?
1: Yeah, so it was little by little. You you build this org chart. So, like I specifically was more over the sales side. Some of the a lot of the ops as well. So. Mm-hmm. You start with the lowest position. So, you know, a door to door sales rep. And then what do they do? What are their responsibilities? Um, and you build out that, that job and then you hire somebody. So I hired my first sales rep in January of 2020. And then, okay, now that made me the uh, sales manager at that point. So what does the sales manager do? How do they do incentives? How do they coordinate? How do they do, you know, team meetings? And then I developed that, you know, we're going to do these slide presentation. So it's, you know, an interactive meeting. We do some role playing, you know, d- under this model, and then you hire a manager or you promote, you know, the sales rep up to a manager and then, okay, well, the next position is your VP of sales. So now I had two managers underneath me. They both had, you know, uh, small teams underneath them. So I now I'm in the VP of, of sales and I'm overseeing them, I'm holding them accountable to their goals. Um, helping, you know, helping them strategize. So I built out that position. Then I hired somebody to fulfill that position, which again, then pushed me up to kind of the next level. And then we did the same thing with ops. So in solar, it's like, who's building your proposals? Why learn how to build all the proposals? Then I hired somebody that was actually overseas. I hired some people out of the Philippines. They did the proposals and then the account management. And here, here's how it is documenting everything meticulously. So you can plug in somebody without having to spend, I mean, obviously it takes time to train them, But if everything's written down, we're using Loom a lot, screen recordings, um, project management system. We were using Asana. So it's like, hey, here's everything that you need to do to make a proposal. And here's a video as well if you'd like to watch that. And then kind of working your way up on the ops until we have a regional ops manager that's overseeing that team in the Philippines. And we have both of those people we hired in just about a year's time from, from starting the business. And once we had those two, kind of everything was was running pretty smoothly, so it yeah. was just little, uh,
0: little by little. That's pretty. I mean, I just want to kind of come back to the fact that you had operations managers sourced through the you know the virtual assistant world. Mm-hmm. I mean, normally when people think of virtual assistants, it's more menial task, you know, check this box, do this, very simple things. Right. But I'm, I've come to learn, uh, you know, in our Apex Network, Justin Nelson with Sphere Rocket. I mean, the world of virtual assistants is pretty incredible. You've just shared it. Yeah. So, I mean, they were running everything. Yeah. I mean, so, so you, so was the, other than boots on the ground and the teams, I'm guessing you contracted out the installation? Yes. Yeah. So other than boots on the ground, doing the selling and the teams, everything else was, was everything else mostly VA?
1: Yeah. And we use them to. That's wild. supplement a lot of like the manager's tasks as well. Because a manager, we want them to lead from the front. We want them to sell. Typically, a good salesperson isn't always the most organized person. So right. like on Mondays, we would have our Monday madness. So everybody would challenge each other. You know, like, I think I can sell more accounts than you, whatever. Well, the following Monday, whoever wins gets to eat lunch in front of the rest of the team. And whoever loses, they get their punishment, whatever. But so the manager uh, managers would kind of come up with this. But the VAs would give them... A slide a pitch deck and let's I mean a slide deck, right? This is the presentation. They would go make some edits, but now the presentations look nice. All of the competitions were tracked by the virtual assistants. And then they would send out yeah. a DoorDash link to all of the winners and say, hey, we're eating at Chick-fil-A today, you know, you can order up to 15 bucks. But it's like now the manager doesn't have to do all of that. Um and one, they I mean these virtual assistants are way more organized. So I do think they they get kind of caught up with that stigma of oh, you know, they they, they can't do high-level things. And I mean, why not? They're, they're people, right? right. There's, there's some shitty right. workers here in the States and there's some shitty workers in the Philippines, but there's some great yep. workers here. There's some great workers there. So it's, did you find the right person? And if you did, did you train them right? And if you're training them right and you have the right person, it doesn't matter if they work for you in Florida or they work for you in India. Um, they should be able to do the same thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that you built the operational structure to have a VA work with Mm -hmm. the sales manager to shed the, the weakest tasks the things they liked to, or didn't like to do the most or straight out hated to do. Or or they they didn't, and they weren't good at it. (laughs) They just weren't. Right. I mean, I love that combination. I don't, I don't know that I've ever heard that before. Um, I mean, again, my frame of reference, and I've hired VAs in the past, has always been, you know, this job, this role, mm-hmm. it's now pushed over there, as opposed to working in Congress, working in a complementary role. That's really, really smart. I hope people listen to that and and look at it, because if you've read the emyth book, I mean, Bennett built a business around it. I mean, you could be like the, you know, camera over the shoulder, walking uh, version, living version of it. Uh, really, really smart. Uh, that's really smart. Love it. So you got to the exit point and this is where you often hear you get to this point of selling. Well, first and foremost, you don't often hear of people actually getting to a point of selling their business, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, so many people, as you know, they're stuck in that chief everything officer role. They're happy to make their money. They're happy to, you know, say they own the business so they've never envisioned the exit you got there was there any anything that came up that was out of left field that almost like sank the deal uh, did it go as planned what can you share there um
1: nothing came up to that about sank the deal but definitely didn't go hundred percent according to plan uh, it was as it was a public company so they gave a decent amount of cash. Uh, mul- I mean, not a ton, but multiple six figures cash, and uh, then all the stock was promised. And that stock, I mean, I just got issued to me um, within the last month, and it's and now the you know a stock's tanked, but um, didn't work out as far as like all the promises of the stock. But again, coming from the door to door world here in Utah, like every company promises this artificial stock. I thought this one was maybe a little bit more secure because it was an actually publicly traded company. But at the end of the day, right. it I, I made the decision based on if I just got the cash, I didn't get any stock, would I still do it? And the answer is yes, because it's a nice exit and dirty dough was starting to take off. And I saw a lot more potential um yeah in that route. So yeah, the, the stock stuff is uh so it's always like, yeah, we're gonna give you all this stock and this and that, and then it takes forever. And then once you get it, then you have stuff to vest. And then the why it's vesting, you're subject to all these different things. And I'm like, I just wanna focus on my, my cookie business right now.
0: So. Yeah. 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 No, that's, um, that's very, very, uh, interesting and and glad you could share it because you need to understand, I mean, cash is good. Stock is good. They're both good. But if you don't understand the one or the other, yeah, you can, you can be in a position where you're not so happy with the exit, but uh, I'm glad it worked out that you got the cash you needed Um, were you able to kind of take a little bit of a break, spend some family time in between or Um, was it just kind of running concurrent? You just ran from solar to cookies.
1: Yeah. kind of, kind of ran from solar to cookies, which started me down the mental health path as well. I mean, me focusing on myself. I grew up thinking if you have anxiety or if you have depression, it's in your head. Even if you had a headache, like that's just in your head, just think happy thoughts. So like, I just didn't experience any of that. And it was, I sold the company um, and I'm like, I was 28 at the time and I'd hit the million dollar net worth that I wanted to hit before 30. And I'm like, this feels great. You know, like I feel on top of the world Um, for about, you know, a few days or a week. And then it just went down to my normal level of happiness. And that scared me. And then I'm like, I told myself, you know, once I make my first summer that I do six figures and then my first summer that I do a quarter million dollars, you know, then we can do this or then we can do that. And then I just finally when I'm like I'm 28, I have an over a million dollar net worth. Why did I just go work a full day the next day? Right. Why am I still working weekends? So at that time I actually started seeing a therapist for the first time. Didn't feel like I had any anxiety or depression, did have some high stress, but I'm just like, what am I doing? You know, like what why do I work towards something and then I achieve it and then I enjoy it for a very brief moment of time, then I go to the next thing. So that got me into the What, you know, what, what is, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And then I made a lot of changes after that. So I I work a pretty strict nine to five, don't work after five o'clock, don't work on the weekends. I have dinner every night at six o'clock with my family, date night every Friday night with my wife. Um, really pivoted a lot of things because it's like, again, there's no point in working hard if I'm just going to always put the next goal, go work towards it, achieve it, and then go put another, you know, so it's like, when am I going to enjoy myself? When am I going to, Kind of tap on the brakes a little bit. So that's what I've been doing. It hasn't affected my business at all. I am a lot more effective in the hours that I do work. But I'm very strict on, like my purpose. I don't believe my purpose is to grow a ginormous company and make a lot of money. It's uh, how do I live a fulfilled and happy life? So, anyways that that was also a very pivotal moment when I sold that sold that business to get myself into the mental health and like. Seeing a therapist is making me happier, right? It's, it's helping me understand who I am, why I think the the way I am. These we all have these, uh, you know, we say we value our family more than anything, but we don't show it. So it's like, well, do you really? Or do you yep. just not know how to? Anyways, um, I, I'm a very big proponent, proponent of everybody, especially people in business, you should see a therapist. You should know how your mind works, you should know what drives you, what doesn't drive you, where your actions don't align with your beliefs and then work on those.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, first and foremost, thank you for sharing that because the, the fact that you see a therapist and work on yourself. Um, again, I don't know that I've ever listened to a podcast where somebody openly shared that. And it's sad that there's such a mental stigma <laughs> around it or such a stigma around it as weakness because in reality, it's not, right? Being strong in your mind is actually probably one of the biggest flexes you can make in life. Um, you know, so well, that's I mean, very cool that you, <clears throat> that you shared that. I
1: appreciate it. We're both part of Apex, we have a business coach, mm-hmm. right? I, I've always used personal trainers. It's like, but again, for me to be happier and more fulfilled, is a business coach going to get me there? Or weightlifting coach or a mental health coach slash therapist? You know, if, you, if, you, right. if I could choose one of those three, I think it would be the therapist slash mental coach. Because you're working on your mind and that's where your happiness comes from. So, anyways, it's uh but we don't think about that. I never thought about it like that. It's just, well, if I if I'm successful and I have a business coach and I can lift a lot of weights and my body's healthy, whatever, then I'm gonna be happy. But it's like, well, well, no. Look at all the people that are successful out there that that aren't happy, that have big businesses, that aren't spending yep. time with the people they love.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you know, you can look at the Tiger Woods example, right? Mm-hmm. Top of the world like top of the world and you know just has an addiction that he is unable to keep in check well became Mm -hmm. an addiction obviously addictions are naturally unable to be kept in check and just doing some down low stuff and got caught Yep. so yeah work on yourself very important appreciate you sharing that so You've you've created that space for that family time, that space to unwind, that space to be impactful. Again, I'll, I'll reference him because he was such a great guest, Kurt Mercadante, a couple episodes back. You know, he he asked the question of his clients. You know, what what's the price to buy your wife? And that's a pretty in-your-face, abrupt question. Yeah, right? and he's not he's not he doesn't approach it from an angle of I want to sleep with your wife. It's 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 really kind of pushing back on his clients and really anybody who might be listening to this, when you say to yourself, if I can just get to another 50 grand a year in income or a hundred grand a year in income or hit that million dollars a year in wealth, really what you're doing is trading off your family because that's what you're saying. I just need to get here so I then have dinners at six o'clock every night and a date night on Friday. So you've built that in, which which is awesome to hear. I love when people build in these spaces, whether it be a physical place this week, I've worked on uh, a, an amazing deck up at my campsite, and we did the same in our house here. Uh, cause I love to kind of sit outside and relax with a cigar and take that time to reflect and yep. chill, right? But I love that you've built it in. You know, your daughter, if we go back to the beginning of our time on the show today, your daughter realized, uh, from that YouTube video that there was a different relationship out there that that child had with her father. So, What's that What are those videos like now with you and your family now that you've got that space? Well, my
1: she's not allowed to watch YouTube anymore. My, my, uh, <laughs> my wife's was like, no more YouTube. I still have YouTube on my phone, so when I come home from work, my daughter's like, can I have, can I have three minutes of YouTube?" <laughs> I'll give her three minutes. Um, but it, I mean it's again, going back to that show and kind of what I was bringing up was it's very good clean content. It's a dad playing with his daughter. They also have a, mm-hmm. a you know baby brother. But the thing is this five or six year old daughter, the, watching this, it's like a real life, right? It's a kind of vlogging. You think that this is a hundred percent real, which it is. I mean, that guy's falling around with the camera, right? But very like kind of raw footage. Um, but what you don't ever see is you don't ever see the little girl cry. You don't ever see the little girl mm. be put in timeout. You don't ever see the little girl fight with her brother. But as a four year old, right. I, I don't know if you make that connection, right? You just look at it and like, oh, she doesn't fight with her brother. Oh, she doesn't ever as fight with her dad. As a 40
0: year old, as a 40 year old, people don't make that connection on digital yeah. social media today. So
1: it's, it's, <laughs> and it was just at four years old. It was kind of like, this is meant to be like a very casual, like this is my day to day life. But of course, they're not showing when the daughter starts screaming, you know? And like every kid yep. goes through a, tenter, a t- temper tantrum. But It's like, well, not, not on YouTube. Not, not on YouTube. They don't, they don't get put in time out on YouTube. So what does that make my daughter feel like when, she fights with her sisters or with her sister, her brother, and we put her in timeout. Well, that's not fair. Adley doesn't, you know, that's, that's the name of that little girl. So anyways, again, I think that's like the cleanest content you can get, but because they're not going to, I mean, I'm not saying that they should show their daughter crying. That's definitely not what I'm saying, but it's just, that's, that's the issue right now. It's very, yeah. very good clean yeah. content, best you can find, but it still, I think has a big, big effect on my daughter.
0: Well, I mean, it's a very, very appropriate example of how even the most innocent uh, content you take in can create this falsity in your mind. So you have to be so, so um, intelligent and thoughtful with what you do take in and the questions you ask around it. Um, Yeah, I saw uh, Doctor B, our friend Brian Holly. He made a post this morning. I'm thinking it's his AirPods case. It had a note, something of uh, written right on the case in a Sharpie marker. Um, Be intentional about what you take in because what goes in comes out. Mm-hmm. And I thought well, that's oh, pretty gosh. smart to put it right on your AirPod case, you know. And and again, like we create these spaces for happy moments. Um, you dinner at six every night. Date nights with your wife on Fridays. Um, you know, we also need to create these these speed bumps, these roadblocks of hey, keep yourself in check here, right? Don't yeah. don't go spend half an hour listening to some podcast where people just want and complain about politics, right? Yeah. Um, very, very smart. Love how you've built that life. So uh, so what's the I mean, you the family, the kids, you you put that schedule in. What's been the biggest uh accolade the biggest joy that's come from all of that. Um even when I so
1: I first made the decision to stop working at five. You know, like I'm i mean in that's this family time. And then I still don't feel like it was it was real good family time. Like I wasn't just with I mean because you can be there not working um but you're not necessarily present. So the dinner thing again that's something my therapist told me to do like do dinner every night set because if you put your phone down and everybody's eating around the dinner table at six o'clock, like you are present. You can't not be present at that point. If I just stop working at five, I go lay on the couch, have a show in the background. Maybe, you know, I'm, I'm thumbing through my phone or something that is not that I'm not being present. I'm not working, but I'm really not enjoying that family time. So we go on my, I mean, literally every single day I come from work and my daughter, my older daughter, Hey daddy, can we go on a date? And it's like, she wants to walk to Walmart typically. And we buy a kinder egg you know, has a little toy and has a little chocolate on one side. But we do that Once. most days or we run to the dollar store. She'll do a chore, give her dollar. We run to the dollar store <clears throat> and she uh, gets, a do- gets something. But even taking a step further and doing the, you know, da- daddy-daughter dates is, I mean, I take both of those girls out probably four nights a week. Uh, even if it's just 10, 20 minutes, you know, we, we go do something because yep. again, it was first like, let me just stop working, but that's not enough. It's Let's stop working, but now I have to be present. How do I be present? Well, dinner—I'm I'm present during dinner, and if it's just me walking around with these girls, like I'm—I'm I'm definitely present. And it's man, it's allowed me to enjoy them so much more.
0: Yeah, that's that's really you can really see them. They're, cool to hear. They're,
1: they're adorable. They're 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 so oh, fun. they are.
0: Yep. Yeah, I mean, very cool. Love seeing love can seeing when my guests are doing this kind of stuff. It's very very so cool. So this
1: was uh, in Greece, and uh, two weeks ago we go on a vacation probably, I mean, at least every other month. Um, Cause the same thing, like why, why do we work so hard and achieve success so we can retire and go on vacation when we're, you know, 60? It's like, no, I, I want to have right. these, uh these mini retirements. Have you ever heard of the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss? Yep. He talks about these mini retirements. Yep. So we try to do, like next month, my wife's going to, uh to Mexico for a whole month and I'll come towards the latter half of the month to kind of be with her. But, yeah, typically every other, other month, we try to go uh, take, a, take a family vacation
0: for a week. Yeah, very cool. Love it. So, uh, to keep those uh, mini vacations going, yeah, they're probably going to get grander and grander, which will require money, uh, but you'll do it the right way where you won't sacrifice. So, you're going to get there with these cookies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Dirty Dough Cookies look pretty amazing. Um, you've started this out. Uh, we've talked about crumble a little bit. I referenced it earlier, you know, the crumble in my town. Um, like it, it, it's, it, it has hit harm. People like are into these cookies.
1: They kill it. Crumbles do so well. Such a good brand. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about Dirty Dough, right? I I know the story, but I would share with the listeners how you got involved, why you got involved. Let's let's jump into that.
1: So I was trying to buy a, a crumb one. Kind of going back to what we were just talking about—the e-myth and owning your own job. When you own your own job, that's not the best place to be in because typically it's a shitty job because you you get paid last and you work the most, right? Yep. So it's like, well, yep. I, don't, I don't. Let's yeah, let's go work for the competition and make my hundred ten thousand rather than uh, rather than me owning my own job type of deal. So I'm a very big proponent into that and trading. Money for money rather than time for money. So when I was presented with the opportunity to buy a crumple franchise, I really wanted one. But they were already sold out of Utah and they require you to be owner operated. And that just kind of went against my beliefs of, well, I don't, I mean, you you're telling me I can buy a job from you. Like I, I don't really want to do that. So when I developed, right. when I bought Dirty Dough, I wanted it to be more of the passive income. I mean, obviously a business needs attention, right? But it's like you don't need to go move to Nashville. If you want to go open up a cookie company, you can go open it up, hire a really good manager because we've simplified everything. So I I like that you paused right here. That's a blueberry lemon cookie. So the outside dough is blueberry. The middle is lemon. We have other ones that even have a third layer that maybe there's a blueberry filling coming out of, you know, in the middle of that lemon dough.
0: So that would be mine. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So all of these cookies, um, rather than going the route of a lot of the competition, they all order their own ingredients. They mix, they, they hire their own employees to mix the dough. Every single piece of, every cookie you get, they grab the dough by hand, they put it on a scale, little by little till it weighs just right, then they grab it and ball it. Um, and it's just a plain cookie. Well, if you want to get to these two and three layer cookies, you have to, it just takes even longer to weigh everything out and longer to combine it all. So we've centralized all the production. So we mix 700 cookies at a time. We throw it through a machine. That makes the cookies you know, these two, three layer cookies and all of the quality controls now done at a corporate level. So we send these, um, dough pucks, these pre-portioned dough pucks to each of the franchisees. Now they're still baked fresh every single hour. So there's no difference to the freshness, but it allows the quality control to be done at a corporate level. It cuts our labor in half. It cuts our build out cost, cost to open up a store in half. And then it doesn't require you know, you don't need to hire bakers. You don't need to learn how to bake yourself. You'll never have to mix dough or anything. You're just popping mm. in the oven. So yeah. I wanted to lower that barrier of entry into owning a business, particularly a franchise. You don't need to be a, a food expert and you don't need um, a ton of money because these are very low cost compared to everything else that's out there. I mean, they're like 175 to 225 is what the kind of the range that most of them are coming in. But you can get an SBA loan for eighty percent of that amount. So forty, right. forty five thousand dollars you can have a a really good business with just you know less than ten employees that's bringing you in six figures. And it's a model that it's built to last. It's kind of like Mrs. Fields cookies. That's what Mrs. Fields does. They do all centralized production and they've been around yep. for 40 years. They've weathered several recessions. They've handed down a Mrs. Fields store from you know from mom to son. Or from son to grandson, because it's such a you know you you see Mrs. Fields they have small square footage, they have low startup cost, low employees. Uh, so that's kind of what we we try to take these large gourmet cookies on the front end, keep that the same weekly rotating flavors, but on the back end, let's create a very robust model that's a lot less inexpensive to start up, and then if you centralize your production, all your costs come down, right? You you don't go yeah. through third party yeah. um, distributors. You don't order 50-pound bags of flour. You order a truckload of flour directly from the source. So our cost of goods come down drastically all at the same time. So that's kind of the model that I've been developing at Dirty Dough. And that's what's allowed us to sell 60 stores with only one store open because they're seeing how simple the model is. I mean, when the timer goes out, take out the cookies, you know? Right. Like, Or you messed up.
0: Well, you know, uh, and and I want to come back to the leverage of what you've Built in to dirty dough, it, it's it, I would I would contend it's more a la McDonald's than anything, mm. right? Because McDonald's, I I believe this is still the case. I know it once was because I saw the agreement. If, if you as an owner operator are caught working inside your franchise, you are subject to losing that franchise.
1: Okay, because, yeah, no, I didn't know
0: that. Yeah, because that is not the recipe for success. Um, so I love that you've really built this in and that for the leverage, if I remember correctly, you shared you have some pretty, pretty big talent on the corporate development team for the cookies, for the ingredients and the sourcing. Is that right?
1: Yeah, we hired a lady, you know, she wrote all of our ops manual. Um, she worked for a company called Mrs. or sorry, called uh Maui Wowie, did all their franchise training for over a decade. Um, so very experienced in the franchise world. The lady who actually started Maui Wowie Smoothies and Coffees back in the 80s, who's was the first ever mobile franchise system to exist. She had to go through like a dozen attorneys to figure this out. Um, she grew it to just under 700 locations, sold it, then took another, another company from nothing all the way to 90 locations. And then uh, I hired her on in December as CEO. And then... So we had a really good kind of franchising experience because I, I'm doing my best to learn everything, but... I'm also living the e-myth, right? Like, I don't want to, I'm trying right. to replace myself. So, like, right now, my title is founder and I don't have any real responsibilities. Not that I don't work. I work more than anybody, probably, you know, like during my nine to five, like I'm, I'm always, I'm, I'm, I'm a go-getter for sure. Um, right. but it's what do I see that needs done that they Do need a little bit of help on the sales, a little bit of help on the operations? Do I need to get the name out? Do I need to be on a podcast? Things like that. And then we hired some really good talent to oversee the warehouse as well as uh, all the logistics. There's a company called American Crafts that do paper craft supplies. And about two and a half years ago, they wanted to get into food craft, So they hired uh, Josh, the guy that's built everything up for us now. And uh, in two and a half years, he took him from you know no food division. Last year, they did 70 million in just the food division. So again, got him. And then another guy who had sold it, his trucking company, they did 50 million in trucking last year. He came on board to do all of our logistics. To make sure that the cookies yeah. are there on time when they need to be.
0: I mean, really, what you've just described—the way that you've assembled the talent and leveraged that talent, or and will leverage their skills—you're you're kind of you're skating to where the puck's going to be. Mm-hmm. You're hiring for the future. You're not hiring oh, for yeah. today. You're not hiring for six months ago because you needed a CFO or a CEO or an ops manager six months ago, and you've been shouldering it. And it's so good to relieve that burden today. When in reality you're hiring, what you're really doing is you're hiring for where Dirty do is going to be in three years.
1: Yeah.
0: Or or more. It's really incredible.
1: If we want to open up 500 plus stores, we have to have somebody that's done it before. Right. And then we have multiple people that have done that before because we also have a really good board of advisors um, that have had several hundred franchisees. So yeah, it's definitely starting with the end in mind of like, okay, how are we going to get this to a thousand stores? Who are the key players? And let's just hire them now, you know. Let's, because if if it's going to work, then we're we're going to need them. And then yeah. it's it's a very different story of like, oh, hey, should we try this out? Should we try out this special type of cookies? Like, well, no. If it doesn't go through the machine, we can't try it out because it's not scalable. Mm-hmm. So why why try it out if it's if it's only going to work in a in a handful of stores? You know, it has to be scalable. It has to be consistent. So it's allowed us to make these decisions a lot easier. Of are we going to do it or not? Well, does it work with a thousand stores? And if it if the model works with a thousand stores, then yes, let's offer that product. Yes, let's offer that cookie. Yes, let's offer, you know, take home cookie, you know, whatever it is, but it has to fit, it, ha- it has to be a model that can fit in a thousand stores.
0: Yeah. Well, and I mean it has to also, you know, what what you've just described complements what's ahead when it comes to sourcing labor. Mm-hmm. You know, you and if you want the same experience from You know, dirty dough in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I do business, to dirty dough in Lancaster, California, or as it said, Lancaster, which I don't even know what that is. But anyway, um, it's got to be the same cookie, right? It's got to be, it's got to be the same cookie uh, from literally in that example, shore to shore. And um, so it's really smart what you've done because you've taken away that. That opportunity for bad quality to exist, which hurts the franchisee, yep. which hurts the, the ultimately the consumer belief in the brand.
1: Yep. And, and on top of that, we've also um, taken away most of the areas of waste. So when I bought the company, I saw three areas of waste. You have your raw ingredient waste. So you have a blueberry cookie. How many blueberries do you order? And what do you do with your leftover blueberries? Your raw ingredient that didn't make it into a cookie. Well, those get thrown mm. away, right? That cookie's not coming back for months if it ever comes back. And then number two, right. you have teenagers working in your store and they mess up when they mix the batches, right? They just they just do. Every time they mess up, you have to throw it all away. And then the third area is uh, at the end of the night, you throw away all your cookies. You let your employees take one home um, and then you have to throw away all the rest. So the first, the raw ingredients, well, the franchisees don't touch raw ingredients. So there is no waste there. Messing up a batch of dough, well, they don't mix any dough. So there's no opportunity to waste there. And at the end of the night, rather than throwing away our cookies, we repurpose them in shakes the following days with a very, mm. very simple process, like kind of like a McFlurry machine. Rather than using a whole blender that like you have to clean the whole blender, there's waste on the blender. It pulverizes the cookie. This is kind of just some little mixing arm. You mix it inside the cup that the customer is going to eat out of. So there's nothing to clean. There's no waste and it keeps the cookies chunky, the shake chunky yep. rather than pulverizing it. So yep, little things yep, like that. Yep. Those are the three areas of waste. Those are how I, um, address those so again just yeah. getting higher margins for our franchisees because if it's a higher margin then it's a lower risk which is lowering the barrier of entry for more people to own businesses and create passive wealth and that's that's what I'm trying to provide to our franchisees
0: yeah I, I mean I love it I was going to comment you're killing me with the McFlurry thing because my favorite McFlurry is the uh, Reese's uh, peanut butter cup McFlurry uh That is my jam right there. I will break a diet. I would go off a 75 hard for it. They don't seem seem to be bringing it back, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, But man, dirty dough cookie shake. I
1: mean, Mm -hmm, that just sounds
0: amazing to me. Um, So as we're getting to the end of our time, so you're franchising this thing. And that's cool. And um, so for me personally, I will never franchise my business for the sole reason that I'm a small government. I don't want government in my life or business any more than it has to be. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously for your franchisees, they don't really need to worry about that short of, you know, having their local business licenses, occupancy permits, which of course you would, you know, your operations manual and team will help them through all that. Yep. Um, But at a high level, for me, it's just a no go. Like it's it's one of my it's one of my things that I just won't do in business, um, yeah. because it's for, it's just not for me. So was that a was that a thing for you? How was navigating yeah. getting the franchising setting up? Um, I mean, obviously you've handled it because you've sold sixty of them. But like for me, I just it's, it's just a no go. So for you, That's obviously great. you've conquered it.
1: the The cons of franchising, you don't have as much control as obviously if they're your own stores um and then you have these government regulations and all these other stuff as well as a franchise war um so I, I i did go back and forth though. do we want to be corporate owned or do we want to be franchise owned and we sat on franchising really for two reasons one i sat down with somebody they they own 200 something uh, restaurants corporate owned and they they're like well you know my 200 restaurants is more is worth more than a thousand you know franchise worth a thousand units you know as far as Money goes, um, <clears throat> because there's so, you know you're keeping all the margin for yourself. So I, I totally see that. But my goal with this was to have you know, if we've done sixty franchises in under six months, is it out of the question to have a thousand? I, I don't think so. I think we can maybe get there. So if we have a thousand, what am I going to do with those thousand stores? Because whether you have sixty franchises or a thousand franchises, either way, it's enough money to sell the business and retire off of. So what's kind of the bigger purpose? And I, I see myself having three customers, my franchisees, my employees and their employees, and then our end consumer. So how can I serve like, cause that's what I'm going after. How do I serve mm-hmm. those three people and serve the most yep. amount of people as possible? Well, you can expand so much quicker with franchising. Cause guess how much it costs us to open up these 60 stores? Well, it doesn't cost us anything. They pay for everything, right? And then they're paying right. us on top of that. Um, right. So I mm-hmm. want, you know, several hundred franchisees that have given a really good model. Of relatively passive income that can be passed down to future generations. And I want to serve hundreds of people like that. I want, it's actually another guy from Apex, um, Jeff Bracken, I think. Forgot his last name. Jeff Bracken. Yep. Yeah. So we bought his, uh, he's got an HR service company. And at a corporate level, we're paying for life guidance coaches for all of our employees and all of the employees of our franchisees. So if you have a thousand stores, that means there's 20,000 employees. And who works in a cookie store? Sixteen to twenty-two year old, mainly female. Who's most affected by the mental health crisis? Sixteen, brother. To I love old, how you're tying it back. Mainly female. Yeah. So that's great. If we can pay, and, and we are, I, I want a thousand stores so I could positively affect twenty thousand young people, and and they pair them up with a life coach that's been through something similar, whether it's anxiety or depression or reaching peak performance, eating habit, quality sleep, mindfulness, getting into meditation divorce, uh, going through a divorce or you know, taking care of a parent with Alzheimer's. like There's like 50 things on there. Being a minority, like, just anything, they get paired up with a coach and then there's unlimited calls. So again, that's why I wanted to go for that thousand mark because I want to f- change the lives of as many people as possible. Now, in the end consumer, we think we'll, we'll build at least one um, wellness center per franchise. So if we can have a thousand wellness centers throughout the country, Probably 2000. I think we could fund two of them per store. That's, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids that'll go through those. So that's why I chose franchising. It, um, cause like you can make a lot more money, keep the control with lower amounts. And I totally, res- you know, respect that. But I wanted to make, because I'm going after the mental health impact, how can I yep. grow faster and scale quicker? And it's franchising.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, hey, that is very, very cool to hear the whole breakdown i figured you were getting there to the wellness centers um as part of it the fact that you're offering coaching to the employees that's i mean beyond the fact that that's a great benefit for the owner to have mm-hmm. right as a hiring you know benefit and a job right. benefit it's just it's just culturally as part of your ethos it's awesome to hear that and i love i love when businesses uh build that in to their success model and how they operate? That's just so very cool to hear, man. I've enjoyed our time together. I really do. Um, Likewise, it's been a great, great time. Thank you for toughing it out. I know, uh, I know you're not feeling 100 hundred, hundred percent. But uh, if you want to get in touch with Bennett, we've been flashing his stuff up on the uh, on the screen. But if you're listening to this on audio, uh, Bennett, why don't you just uh, kind of run through how people connect with you, just so they can hear that?
1: Yeah, BennettMaxwell.com. B-E-N-N ettmaxwell dot com and uh, you can connect me with me on social media. I try to post good relevant content every day on LinkedIn, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. And I also do like uh, about every other week. I do I write an in the trenches report. So if you want to receive that report, you can subscribe there. And uh, you can also inquire about franchising if you're interested in uh, you know owning jump taking that next step, owning another business. But you're kind of scared to do it. I mean, franchising is a very, very good uh, option for you because it's a low, again, the, the barrier transfer is just a lot lower because the game plan, the playbook is already there. So anyways, that's the best way to connect with me. Uh, just kind of depending on how you want to connect.
0: All right, very good. Well, Bennett, it's been a pleasure. Really enjoyed having you on the show. Appreciate um, it. You're, you're definitely living what I like to call those big ticket life principles, life and business on your terms. So appreciate you uh, toughing it out, joining us. And man, I can't wait to see you get to 1,000 units. going to be awesome. amazing. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Thank you. We'll see you next week on The Big Ticket Life. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.bigticketlife.live. That's Live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners and your spouse keep you from truly living a big-ticket life. My big-ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first, the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.